Welcome to Black, Red, Yellow, episode 13. Uh, you know what? We got an awesome guest on the uh, on the podcast today. No disrespect to the past guests, but uh, I'm pretty excited about this one. Uh, you can find him on Sportsnet. You can find him hosting the Canucks. We got Dan Murphy. Dan, what's going on? I don't mind any disrespect to Jeff Patterson. You can give that all the time you want. I'm good. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I know. We're, uh, we're pretty excited, and we're also pulling you away, and I guess us, uh, to be fair, from that... Uh, Ottawa Pittsburgh game, which is in OT right now. Are you uh, cheering along with the uh, the last standing Canadian team? Well, I was kind of just seeing where my allegiance would go. I kind of watched these games going in, not knowing who I cheer for. But I think as the game has gotten on, I've kind of been cheering for the Senators a little uh, a little bit more than the Penguins. Uh, yeah, you know, it looks like they've been beaten about five times. Uh, but I'd love to see a guy like Clark MacArthur win it and send the send the Senators into. Uh, the cup final is probably about the only Canadian team I could say that for though. Yeah. It, it, it's weird. Cause like there's been so many times throughout this playoffs where like, like you said, it seems like they've been dead and by no means do they not deserve to be here, but there have been some pretty talented teams that they've knocked off. And uh, I don't know. I think we're all pretty excited to maybe see Burroughs in another Stanley cup appearance. If you can come back for that round. Oh, sorry. I, I find like Ottawa senators are like um, when like your girlfriend goes to a movie with your ugliest friend. It's just like, it, it feels like almost non-threatening. I don't know, as a Canucks fan, just because of, I guess, just how insecure I am. But that's that's how I, I and find And then they keep winning? Is that is that Does that how it play out in your metaphor as well? I, no, I, I got married, thanks. Oh, God. Well, Oh, the, right, I missed that one. The other thing being, there's no real history between the Canucks and the Senators, bad history at all. So there's no mm-hmm. memories if you're a Canucks fan of this team stomping on your heart. So it makes it a little bit easier. And perhaps when you're looking out east, the, the fan base of the Senators – but not nearly as abrasive with Canucks fans as, you know, the Leafs would be or the Habs would be. So I suppose there's a little bit of that thrown in there as well. Yeah, I guess you're forgetting about the Heritage Classic then? What was that about the Heritage Classic? I missed that. <laughs> yeah. Cody Cece? I can't even remember. Was it Henrik that got carted off? I don't even know who hit him in that game either. That's all, that's how much that one's burning in my memory. All I know that one is Roberto Luongo didn't start. That's all I can remember. Yeah, I think that's the only real story that came from that one. <laughs> Excuse my voice, too, or lack thereof. I've been chewing on a, laws, a lozenge like an AV for the past day because I lost my voice yesterday thanks to a cold. So I was uh, I was going to say I'm pretty used to your voice after watching multiple Canucks games, and it's got a bit of a different twinge to it today. <laughs> People are going to think that uh, you're lying and this is not right, Dan yeah. Murphy. <laughs> yeah, Dad, you're doing great. <laughs> we said Dad Murphy. <laughs> Something like that. So, uh, you know, I, I mean, we kind of posed some questions out to the community of Reddit. Um, they were pretty excited about you coming on. And I, I kind of just wanted to hop into these because there were so many. Uh, just kind of get the ball rolling with this interview. But uh, the first thing I kind of wanted to ask about is the Ryan Kessler uh, kind of situation. And I'm curious where you are at in this uh in this realm, I suppose we could call it, because Kevin Bieksa and Kessler both kind of came out and said that this recent loss was pretty crushing. And uh, obviously with Kevin Bieksa, I think there's a lot of great feelings around Canucks fans. But uh, how do you feel about Ryan Kessler and just the way that situation kind of played out and now his time in Edmonton, or sorry, Anaheim, wrong um, series? I, you know, I, I'm i kind of, I think I'm kind of the same way with, Ke- actually, I'm probably not as bad with Kessler as some members of the media because for the most part, I saw him twice as much as other people. And I, and some people might not think that's a good thing, but a lot of times I would see him on the road when there wasn't a lot of other media around. Uh, but what you saw was what you got. Uh, it could be prickly. Uh, it could be arrogant. Um, you know, didn't want to answer questions. Uh, but he was a heck of a player. And, you know, I, I think you can say for 10 years, I don't think 
uh, whenever he was on the ice, you could never accuse him of quitting. Now, you can say that he quit on the Canucks when it when it came to leave town uh, after a decade. And I kind of think, like, in the locker room, um, I, I don't think he was a bad teammate. He was kind of like the younger, annoying brother, I think, to a lot of guys. And in the end, when he kept on, you know, just being – you know, Eeyore and being down along the locker room and, you know, I don't want to be here. Then I think finally guys just said, okay, we'll go. You know, if you don't want to be here, then you might as well go and let's just accept the situation. So um, I, I think Canucks fans have a reason to be sour with him because at the end it was clear that, you know, he was lying when he said he didn't ask for a trade and everybody knew that he did. And then he basically streamlined it to one team. Um, but as a player, I think when you look back, I mean, uh, he's in the upper echelon of guys that have ever worn a Canucks jersey. Yeah, 100% agree. And and it was, like you said, every time he was on the ice, he was committed to winning. And I think that's kind of the, the joke that Canucks fans have kind of been playing around with a bit is that maybe he wasn't committed to the Canucks, but he is committed to winning. And we saw that when he was on the ice, and we still see that with uh, with Anaheim. And you know, in sort of the uh, the area of people leaving the team as well, I'm also a little bit curious what your take is on the Trampkin situation because, uh, I mean, you, you must have spent a bit of time with him while he was on the team. And if you have any insight as to whether his leaving had more to do with, you know, perhaps the way the Canucks were trending or their current placement in the standings, or do you think that was more just of him wanting to go home back to Russia? I think it was more of a personal decision because really, I mean, if it was about minutes and opportunity i don't know how many teams you could pick in the league that would be a better chance for the guy to play in the national hockey league than vancouver considering vancouver situation finishing 28th and 29th uh you know not having a ton of depth uh guys like good branson were hurt this year Trampkin got you know i mean north of 60 minutes of ice time that's pretty darn good for a 22 year old so i think it had more to do with wanting to be comfortable wanting to go home, uh, just getting married to a girl that spoke no English, that wanted to, uh, she was Russian, wanted to work, couldn't do it in Vancouver. I'm not going to close the door on him ever returning, uh, but I, I, I believe it was more of a Trampkin decision than something that was uh, you know, precipitated by what the Canucks did or how they treated him. And, and did you find like when you were just kind of spending time uh, around the team, like what, what was his kind of take on the on the Canucks? I mean, obviously English is second language, but did you ever kind of get to dig into the personality of him at all? A little bit, but not a ton. Uh, you know, maybe a few words here and there. Same thing on the road. You'd slide up to him and I would talk to him more about in-game situations. What did you see there? You know, not, not a whole lot of personal stuff. I, I never really got to um have that type of relationship with him i don't know who did dave thomason talked to him quite a bit the color analyst um but i'm still not sure he was really on board with the nhl uh he didn't want to be the mean type of player the canucks wanted him to be uh you know the one uh, fight he had with jamie ben after the game he didn't understand why he had to fight after he made a clean hit so i'm not sure uh yeah this this the style of game i'm, I'm not i don't think he would have had a problem growing into it, but you know how some guys just aren't, um, you know, don't have the mad DNA. Another guy I'll, I'll say like that, Jay, uh, Shane O'Brien who fought like, I know 50 times in the first two years, but he was a guy that, you know, he wasn't a real mean, nasty player. He did it cause he had to, to earn a spot. And then he kind of stopped doing it. And there's some guys that are just like that. That's not the way they're made. And, and perhaps you can get them to play that way, but I don't think it was in his DNA. Right. And you, you kind of spoke of just, just uh, how much you have talked to him with just the idea of media and, you know, the kind of separation, you kind of want that 
blood brain barrier between the two and you don't want to of course get too too close and you've got to kind of keep it professional at the same time how have you i mean you've become basically i mean a staple with the canucks it's like as the canucks go and so does dan murphy uh what do you think like you've done over the last over all these years now uh that despite you being from the media how do you carry on these relationships with the players well i mean i think there's two areas you have the broadcast and then you have the reporting duties and um, you know, over the years, the broadcast duties, it's more of a partnership. There's not a whole ton of criticizing as far as a host goes. You know, if a guy's minus three and gives up, uh, you know, a horrible turnover to leads the winning goal, I'm not getting him post game in a one-on-one. So that's a different uh, road. Now, the next day I might do a story on him uh, because of the game he had. Uh, but I think that's part and parcel. I mean, when you're a reporter, you don't editorialize. You use numbers. Um, and so I think I've always tried to be fair. I mean, I think some people would clearly say I'm a homer, but uh, I'm not sure that uh, that's the way that uh, I've ever you know, dealt with players. I've always tried to be fair, um, and whether it's good or bad, uh, just speak the truth, use the numbers, and go from there. So would you say you are more or less of a homer than John Garrett? Oh, no chance. On I mean, a scale of what it no, Garrett's and I think that like Shorthouse is super, super neutral, and Garrett is yeah. on the scale of zero to ten being the biggest homer. Uh, as far as around the league too, like with different regional broadcasts, I'd say Garrett is a solid, you know, seven and a half, eight. But there are some okay. other there are some other teams that if you listen to the regional broadcasts, you can get nines and nines and halves. Like Pittsburgh would be one, especially. Like you know, the Eastern Seaboard, like for instance, like a Stanley Cup ring, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And but but some guys are employed by the team, though, right? I'm employed by Sportsnet, right. not by the Canucks. So there's a there's a different way uh, that they're told to do things. I, I can say that I've honestly never been told uh, from the Canucks or my employers how to do things. I have been called out a couple times. Brian Burke one time didn't like. A story I did, Mark Crawford threatened uh, to keep me off the charter one time because of a story. And, um, <laughs> you know, Mike Gillis, you know, talked to me on the charter one time. But uh, as a whole, you know, they might confront you, but then after, you know, they're fine. You just tell them your point of view. And uh, it's never been really a problem more than that. Mm-hmm. We uh, we had a few Derek Jory confrontation stories from Mike Gillis, but those had more to do with um, almost missing the bus on the way to the airport than they did uh, about <laughs> Collins. So. Yeah. I suppose uh, maybe yours is a bit better. You you would never I'd do never, that, would you, Dan? Like, yeah. No, if you're a member of the media or team staff, the one rule is you better not be late. So the running joke with Shorthouse and Garrett and myself, we're all early. We're all early no matter what, but it could be like we'll say to each other, let's meet at 4.45 in the lobby, and all three of us are down there at 4.15, and we just can't help ourselves. So that's never <laughs> been a problem for me. That's a good trade. Yeah, I suppose that's like more of the, the A-minded kind of person. Yeah, so, um, I mean, okay, kind of rolling through these a little bit. Uh, I want to ask one of the weirder questions, and uh, I'm kind of curious what you think of this. The question is, who is the weirdest person you know, and why is it Joey Kenward? <laughs> you know what? <laughs> Joey is a heck of a guy. He's, uh, I get along with him. Uh, he can be a little bit quirky, uh, but <laughs> he is a hard, hard worker. Um, and there you go. Yeah. There's a guy that works for the team. So, you know, where his allegiances lie you know, most of the time. Yeah. Um, but, um, 
you know, as a guy that uh, he knows his hockey, he knows his junior hockey, he knows his soccer, uh, a really, really super hard worker. And, uh, uh, you know, I've, I've known Joey for a long time now. I wouldn't say I know a lot of weird people and uh, Joey's, you know, middle of the pack at best. I'm hoping that we can kind of fit into that weird scale at one point, maybe after a couple more episodes that you pop on. We'll try to get you back in October and we can see where we're at on that scale. Well, the the day is young. Yeah, the day is young. And depending on how many uh, overtimes this goes to in this uh, Ottawa series, maybe we'll just have to make this like a three-hour episode. You're going to be hanging out with your kid the whole time. <laughs> well, she hasn't come in yet, so hopefully she's asleep. No. <laughs> Hey, can we can we switch topics? I wanted to. Um, I did something I haven't done in a very long time as an Amazon Prime member. I, I stepped uh, I stepped foot into a physical bookstore and I uh, I purchased Journeyman. So uh, I've I, you know I'm I'm a commuter, so I started going through it uh, this week and I'm I'm enjoying it a lot. I mean I've I've read a lot, read a lot of hockey books, uh, nonfiction, and uh, I mean. When it's, I've always gotten confused of the distinction. What's the difference between, I mean, an author and like just like co-written? Because it, of course, it says Sean Pronger co-written with Dan Murphy. So, what was, uh, what was your uh, part in this project? Well, I think it's different uh, for different authors and uh, co-authors. For Sean and I, we've known each other since I was eighteen years old. Uh, he was, uh, I guess, seventeen in 19 and 17. <clears throat> and so this all came down to the fact he had written a couple of blogs on the hockey news. Uh, he's a really funny guy. And uh, during the 2010 Olympics, his family stayed with our family. Uh, of course, Chris was playing in the games. And uh, I said, we should try to make a book. So the, the idea was spawn and away we went. Now, our writing process is probably a lot different from a lot of people. Sean liked to write. So he would write 2,500, 3,000 words. Uh, usually, you know, six or eight beers deep. He'd send that to me. I would take it. Uh, and after my six or eight beers, I'd add about 2000 more words and send it back with a bunch of questions and, and other things. And that's the way it kind of grew. And so we just came up with ideas and chapters and it went from there. And there's some mornings you wake up and you'd look at it and say, what the heck did we write? Go back and, and go through it again. But that's kind of the way it it worked for us. It just grew to, you know, 70,000 words. Um, we had to revise it a couple of times. Uh, I've read it once since it's been done and there's a couple of chapters that I'm you know, not real happy with, but overall, I think we had a, a ton of fun doing it. And, uh, he probably wrote a lot more than most athletes would in a book, um, and some sort of biography. That's great. And do you have any plans to, you know, write any more? Did you enjoy the experience or was this kind of just because it was a purse, uh, I mean, a close personal connection that that's why you got into the project? That's probably it. Um, I don't think we'll do another one. Uh, I've been approached to write a couple different ones. Uh, I mean, when Rick Rippon was live, he had approached me too, and I just didn't feel I had the depth or writing experience to, to write something of a serious nature. Sean's was easy because we just spent you know, 300 pages making fun of him, and that was easy for me because that's what I've done my whole life. <laughs> um, but that, and, and I suppose if his brother, uh, who I, I think is – thought about writing a book who would command about 10 times the uh <laughs> the fee um I, again i think you'd have to leave that to a, a real author like a you know a roy mcgregor or someone that's written books that i could really handle the serious nature of a, a book compared to what sean and i did 
That's awesome. Um, you know, out of respect of you and the fact that uh, we're probably going to be wanting to check out this game, we're going to take a quick break and uh, watch some of this Ottawa Senators game, and then we're going to rip back into this during the intermission. So we'll be right back. All right, we're back with Dan Murphy. Uh, just going to keep whipping into these Reddit questions. Uh, thanks for submitting those guys. Uh, so the next kind of thing I think a lot of people are curious about, um, as always with the Canucks, is the Sedins. And so um, I'm wondering if you can, like, before we kind of go into the contract talk and what their future looks like, I kind of want to talk about them and, and the work they've done with the team already and perhaps some things that fans don't see. So is there anything you can give in terms of insight toward their leadership style or perhaps things that go on in the dressing room before a game in between intermissions that just kind of speaks to what kind of leaders they are? Well, I don't know how much I can add that hasn't been said because, you know, I don't think it's true for every player, but when uh, you hear people say about the Twins, what you see um, and what you hear is what's true, it's totally true. They are two of the nicest humans on the planet. They're two of the most fit players the Canucks have ever had. Uh, Their dedication is unbelievable. Uh, They're humble. They're generous uh they're very very nice humans like you know they're the kind of guys that you know if you're you're liable to have a talk with them they'll remember your dog's name they'll ask about your family um you know they're just really really solid salt of the earth guys now i think that basically their main uh style of leadership would be the old you know cliche lead by example because of how hard they work how they conduct themselves how they're available after every win, actually after every loss and during a, a lot of wins, they won't make themselves available because they want other guys to share the spotlight. Um, I just think they're uh, uh, very in, uh, intellectual. Uh, they're great for any coach because they are, um, they'll toe the line of the coach. Uh, like when have you ever heard, like even after when torts, when things were going down the toilet, guys were hurt. Uh, you know, the twins were staying, still saying stuff like, no, the system is great for us. We just have to run it. Like they don't throw anybody on the bus. Um, now it's, I think at this point in their careers, it's a shame that by this point there hasn't been enough players to step up and allow them to be secondary players. And maybe that's finally happened this season at the end of the season. Uh, because I think they believed perhaps in their you know, second to last year and surely last year, they wouldn't be the first line anymore, um, but that's the case. Um, and I just hope that because the fact they're putting up, you know, uh, 0.5 points per game here in the last couple of years, it really doesn't diminish you know, what they've done because that's still a decent clip. It's just that when you've seen them play, especially when you go back to 09, 2010, 2011, 2012, used to that such high quality, high production that this seems just, you know, so out of whack. Uh, but really the production's not that bad. It's just not what we're used to uh, seeing Daniel and Henrik because even, what was it, two years ago, Henrik was top 10 in the league in scoring or 10th anyway, tied for 10th. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the decline has happened pretty quickly here, um, but I think that if they were allowed to be second-line players, you might even see an uptick uh, in those numbers, but that hasn't been the case so far with this team. Just based upon the matchups that they get and perhaps the minutes they play, do you think they would ex- they succeed under uh, lower minutes, perhaps? Perhaps. I think at this point, not that they're um, uh, not in shape, but, uh, you know, this is a game of mm-hmm. speed now, as we've seen. I always thought that perhaps they might be able to age a little, age a little bit better. 
uh, due to the fact that their game was never really uh, based on speed. It was more passing and spacing. Uh, but you can't, uh, you, I mean, you can't say that if you can't keep up in this league now, you're not going to put up big numbers, uh, and that's uh, truly apparent now. Right, and I mean, since you spent so much time with them, I mean, basically for the entirety of your career uh, with the Canucks and mm-hmm. Sportsnet, uh, if you were a betting man, would you say that they would look would be looking to come back for you know a couple more years, or is that everything just kind of hearsay right now? Uh, it's so tough to say. What I, I mean, I think in my mind, uh, this team would have to have some sort of rebound for them to uh, really uh, think about coming back. And perhaps, pre- you know, I understand they're legacy players, but the, the organization would have to make a real a big decision at that point too after this year. If it's another, uh, you know, 40 points for each of them and the team is still uh, kind of flatlined here or not quite on the uptick yet, uh, which I think everybody expects, then what sense does it make uh, to bring them back unless it's at a hefty discount and who knows if that's what they want to do. I don't doubt that um, they'll spend a significant time of, of their lives in Vancouver, even when they retire. I think they're that close to the city, but I don't think they're the type of guys that are looking for any sort of cash grab late if they don't think they can produce. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think everybody's kind of on the same page in terms of the fact that despite whatever production the seedings uh, have in their kind of later careers, just the impact they have on this organization and even the prospects and players. I mean, you got to think somebody like Dolan is pretty excited to be coming to the same dressing room. Should he make the team as the, the Sedins? So yeah, that's, that's pretty cool. Um, you know, kind of switching a page here a little bit, uh, you know, I do, after following your Twitter, I do see quite a bit of uh, good music suggestions and uh, just a, a general good taste in music. And you know, the revolving door of the Canucks intro songs and now the goal songs with the player specific ones. I'm kind of curious, uh, and so are some people on uh, the message boards. If you could choose the intro song for the Canucks, would you go back to the past maybe to U2 or would you go for something different? Dan, you, you don't strike me as a U2 fan. No, well, you know what? I, 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 mean, I think I was a U2, U2 fan in about 1985. I think I saw like the Joshua tree if that's when it was maybe around then 86. Um, and I don't mind their music, but I've always kind of trended to something a little more hard. Now I know that Edmonton and San Jose mm-hmm. use Metallica seek and destroy. So I won't go there, but how about something from, I think uh, the song new noise from refused. And if you might not know what literally about to say that. Yeah. 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 I think that would be a great one. We both know that one. Yeah. yeah, If you, so if you hit the timing right on that one, when they're skating out to the, uh, can I scream? I mean, I can't, I can't think of much better song than that. intro song for this podcast i'm not sure what the licensing looks like but uh i think we'll take a roll of the dice on that one i remember though like the first time i 
I, I, I came up with the, uh, the licensing issues. Um, we were cutting videos. I worked for, I worked for Orca Bay way back in the day when I was first breaking in the business in 95, 96, I was at sports page as a, uh, associate producer, a writer. And I was, uh, volunteering at Orca Bay in the library, but I would sit there and help cut, uh, vignettes for players, uh, with a guy named Jason Steensma, who's still there. And, uh, I remember we used, uh, Foo Fighters Everlong. So I don't know what year that would be. Would that be late nineties? Yeah. Late nineties, early, early 2000s. Sure. I can't even remember, but, uh, yeah, and I think that there was a letter written, or uh, maybe it's even Matthew Goodband because he would have heard about it. Uh, that's when they stopped using those songs in those videos. Oh yeah, yeah, and everyone kind of knew Matthew Goodband as well. Matthew Good around Vancouver is not being the most uh, can we say charitable <laughs> person in Vancouver. I think especially I, his attitude. I think I think yeah, I think there was a cease and desist letter from his uh, agent or lawyer pretty quickly. <laughs> I bet you he wrote it personally. That's funny. Uh, Kind of swinging into the uh, the finals here a little bit. Um, I mean, I'm still kind of holding my breath on that Ottawa Penguins series, but we do know the Predators are going in. Uh, I mean, obviously you've spent many road trips going to Nashville, and enough has been said about just the way that arena is kind of positioned in the city and how fun it is. But uh, any kind of interesting stories about your time in Nashville? It seems like when teams go there, it's, uh, it's not a party city, but it's kind of the city that you're going to go out and spend a bit more time <laughs> oh, in. Oh, it's a party city. Uh, they call it Nash Vegas. In fact, there's like Nash vegas cab line there um the arena is situated right on broadway which is the main kind of bar strip honky talk bars a lot of country bars uh but there's a whole bunch of cool areas it's always crazy busy vanderbilt's about 10 minutes away so there's a couple different sections of the city between downtown and that um and so when i I can't remember when i arrived second round it would have been for game three i think it was a sunday night we arrived and the place was just going bonkers um, because I think a lot of people now from out east, it's tough for them to get to Vegas. So they head down to Nashville for a weekend. Um, it's a blast. There's great barbecue. I'm not a country music fan, but these bars are so lively and fun that there's a really good live uh, country bands playing in them. And they don't play for money. They, they don't play for uh, money from the bar. They play for tips. Uh, but they're high, high uh, talent. Uh, it's just a real fun city to be in. And the building was great in 2011. It was loud when the Canucks were there, but it's a whole new level now. Um, they've got, it's almost like college basketball or, you know, uh, you know, high school basketball. They've got these chants in the building. And I think if you look for it, if you just Google 303 cell block might be the name of their fans. Um, but just when they give up a goal, they'll do the usual, you know, uh, who did we have in that uh, last series? Like uh, Gibson, 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 you suck. And then they go into it's all your fault. It's all your fault. And uh, it's very, very effective. And it's, it's, I haven't seen something like that since 03 when the Canucks played in Minnesota. Uh, every time that the Wild would score, the whole building would wave their arms in unison and point at Dan Cluche and chant Siv. And you could just see a goalie getting smaller and smaller in the net. It was just such an effective champ and the people of nashville have that kind of stuff down to a t do you think like vancouver could ever turn into a city like that or do you think it's just i mean you know it's it's what's in the water there yeah do you want vancouver to turn into into a place like that of course i do i mean i love uh, the white caps for the rain city brigade and the south siders and i think when those guys go to the rink it's a lot of fun uh now you know price of tickets obviously makes a little different because the lower bowls usually 
you know, your high rollers, your businessmen, uh, your corporate tickets. So there's that problem. I think, you know, no Canuck fans want to see this team out of playoffs, but I think one of the byproducts of this will be kind of like what it was back in, what was it 2000 when the team had been out of the playoffs for four or five years, finally got back in against the uh, avalanche. And even though they were swept, the building was crazy again. I think that these fans are going to have to, you know, miss this, miss this time of year before they can really get back into it. Because even in 2012 and 2013, I think the fans took getting to the playoffs for granted. You know, even the first round, I know they were beaten in five games and then swept in those two years, but it just got the sense that there was already Mm -hmm. apathy. So I think, um, you know, if the team does miss the playoffs for, you know, three, four, five seasons, when they do get back in, there's going to be a real renewed energy in the building. and, And maybe that's what they need. I agree. It, it, it almost felt like in you know that 2012, 2013, it was similar to where almost Capitals fans are now in, in their state of uh, hurry up and get me to the finals kind of thing. And maybe we're a bit different because we did see the finals appearance. But yeah, it's like, let me blast through these first two rounds and then we'll start being excited. But a little bit of apathy and maybe we became a bit too comfortable with the team. And uh, I think we're all kind of missing it at this point. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, even in 2012, yeah, in 2012, when they were down 3 nothing to the Kings, they won game uh, four when Daniel came back, game five went to overtime. But that's when you got the sense the building was kind of just getting back into it. And once they lost that game, the next year against San Jose, um, you just got, I don't know if the fans were resigned or they took the playoffs for granted, but there just wasn't the same feel in the building. I feel like not enough people bring this up, or maybe Canucks fans do bring it up as it goes, but... The Duncan Keith hit on Daniel Sedin. What could have been of that series? I know LA just absolutely steamrolled and they were they're on a different level, but man, I just feel like, you know, a repeat year right after the uh the game seven loss, it, it would have been beautiful. But you know, it's kinda hard talking about the past now when it's twenty seventeen. Just speaking about that, wasn't it like the funniest transition that we've seen? Like have we seen like a generation or like a hockey like I guess the style change? Like remember when we had like those big boy hockey and I guess I don't even know if that was like the Canucks year I mean we got beat by a big team but and then it seemed like four years down the line all of a sudden it's just like well that's like the way the dinosaurs used to play with the big boys now everyone's just skating past them now like look at I mean I wouldn't say Pittsburgh's a very big team or I wouldn't say that about Ottawa either and it's just it's complete speed I don't know I just they just noticed yeah. that like how quickly I don't know things change when it seemed like it was I don't know a big build-up well, and, and so last year, I mean, San Jose looked so good getting to the final, and then they just say they couldn't believe how fast Pittsburgh was. Uh, Nashville's a, a very speedy team with D that can transition the puck and to get to those forwards. I think when the Canucks lost the Bruins, uh, I wouldn't put like the Bruins. The, the Bruins were a little bit different. Their biggest and strongest players were also their most skilled players. You know, uh, in a sense, with Char and, and Lucic, mm-hmm. yeah, like they were, they were very, very skilled, and those guys are very hard to come by. Uh, but sure, yeah, I mean, it, it is totally different now. You see, how many more defensemen do you see in the league now that are under six feet, uh, that just skate like the wind, move the puck, and are effective that way? So, I think that's good for the league. I don't, I mean, obviously things revert a little bit in the playoffs. Please, Jordan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think things revert a little bit in the playoffs, um, but. Uh, if Subban, from what I hear, if he could just uh, figure out a little bit the defensive side of the game, uh, uh, figure out, uh, just have that 
I don't want to say you want to want it a little bit more because offensively, what do you have? 16 goals last year. Um, obviously, there's that element to his game. There's a speed element. There's an excitement element, and there's an offensive element. So uh, that sure would be fun to watch if if he could ever get a chance. But I think it speaks volumes the fact that he didn't get a chance last year as to what Travis Green thought of him in the minors. So that he just probably wasn't ready. I mean, but, but we've we've played. You know, I mean. I mean, the the younger brothers of, you, you know, that didn't have as fortunate careers as the others. Like, we had the Feder Federals and the Steve Koreas. And it's just like, you think just like, even if it like, it's not going to work out. And I know it's someone's career and you never want to play with it. But just for the novelty of having, you know, him play, it's there's like, there's a built up excitement or I don't know if it's frustration now with uh, with the fans of, of but like, don't you think it's just like kind of just throwing them a bone? Like, what what would really it do to his development if you did play him for a game? I like I, I agree. They called him up what twice last year and didn't play him. I mean, at that point, it would have made no difference uh, to play him. Um, and you make a good point. I believe that Mark Crawford started a line one time that was was it Korea, Rutu, and Fedorov, and they called it the other brother line. I think that happened, but maybe I'm just making that up. Uh, anyway, yeah, I mean, I think there's that um, people want to see him. Uh, they want to see what he can bring. Uh, and when they see, I guess the one thing that uh, that I would say is that you reward, we don't know what goes on down in the minors. So you want to reward guys that, that put the proper time in. And so maybe there's more of a message being sent to him than anything. Um, and I guess we'll find out if, you know, if he received it. Uh, considering how what happens coming up in uh, in training camp, because I, I I heard from some people that as soon as Stetcher went down after training camp, that they could just tell that this guy was going to be back up. Uh, never shied away from a battle in the corner. Um, you know, came up with the puck more often than not, uh, and you know, and just got it. So you know, maybe I was in that scrum where PK said he tells his brother to watch uh, Ryan Ellis as a way to play and maybe he even look a little closer to home and watch the way that a stetcher plays, at least in the defensive end uh, as a good uh, role model in terms of making that next step. hundred mm-hmm. percent. I mean, it, it almost seems like we got a stetcher kind of role modeling for um, Subban and maybe Jake for and uh, can find some role models on the team as well. Are, are, you, are you looking <laughs> forward to the uh, next season just because of all the question marks of the forwards? I mean, we got Dolan, we got for and a lot of guys who, could potentially play for the Canucks uh, next season and put up some offensive numbers. Um, obviously, there was some disappointment in terms of his development, but still a young guy and still a lot of hope. Uh, I kind of wonder what your opinion on Jake Pertanen is. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I hope that there's more there offensively than what he's shown. I mean, I, I know that um, a lot of the numbers guys didn't like the pick when the Canucks made it. Um, and certainly when you look at the draft now, I mean, William Nylander, and I guess they passed on Pasternak twice because they took McCann in front of him, um, Nikolai Ehlers. So I hope the kid just doesn't get buried by, you know, this is a tough market when all anybody's talking about is, oh, what a disappointment because of these other players. So I hope he finds some sort of offensive rhythm um, because right now this, you know, this could be the pick that haunts Jim Benning the most um, when you see what the other guys have done. Um, you know, I think this could be his biggest error um, uh, to date. But, I mean, it's tough to say for a kid that hasn't uh, played a ton of games yet. So uh, the proof's in the pudding. But right now it doesn't look great. But I'm not willing to give up on him yet because he hasn't had a chance to play, uh, you know, a full season at the NHL level. Um, 
he lost the weight last year. Apparently, uh, he was, you know, that old playing the right way. Uh, but the Canucks need players like him, young, fast, uh, big, strong, and can take the puck to the net. So, I, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be a William Nylander. I'm guessing probably not. But wouldn't it be nice if he could be a 20-goal, uh, 15-goal, 45-point guy uh, at this point? Wouldn't you take that? And, uh, and maybe there's more upside than that. But I think that at this point, that's what you'd have to look towards. Because, uh, you know, maybe other people are saying, well, maybe he's like Zach Cass and he's never going to get it until he has to get it. I wouldn't say that because from what I heard of when he went down to the minors this year, he got it a little bit more. Um, but I just hope he's not haunted. I hope he doesn't read social media a lot because, uh, you know, that's the one uh, he's made fun of a lot just because the other guys were picked behind him. Yeah, he'll he'll always kind of have that, that label on him just because of the draft. And, I, I you know, I, I always find it unfair with those kind of things anyways because, like, the player doesn't choose when they're getting drafted, right? So they're just going to play their game one way or another. Uh, I guess we just hope that he kind of – plays the best he can and puts in the most effort. And it's kind of funny in terms of like that, that pick haunting him. I think a lot of people also sort of said that uh, the Nikita Tramkin pick was almost like uh, the saving grace for Jim Benning because of how that kind of a uh, Vertanen draft went down. But of course now uh, both players not quite meeting expectations, I suppose, but you know, switching gears because we're already at 39 minutes. Uh, I did want to kind of, kind of reach into the past a bit and see if you can uh, provide any sort of Kevin Bieksa stories that perhaps the uh, general Canucks fans haven't heard or something that kind of slipped under because I was watching the Fox uh, feed during the, one of the Anaheim series and I'm sure you caught that uh, interview where he kind of left it at uh, I didn't have a choice to that to that woman and it just kind of reminded me of all the great times and all the funny things that happened uh, with Kevin Bieksa so any, any sort of quick stories you can provide? Well, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of them were seen on TV. I, I mean, I, I remain, uh, you know, friends with Kevin. We text all the time. Um, uh, the, you know, he was always there to make you uncomfortable. He's always there to, you know, try to make your job fun, and I appreciated it. Um, you know, the one time that was very difficult was <laughs> we were in Montreal, and I was doing a, a news hit, uh, you know, half hour before the game. And I don't think Kevin knew it, but um, I was talking about Jean Beliveau had passed like three days earlier. And, uh, you know, the Canucks had gone to the wake and you know, mm -hmm. all that type of stuff. So I'm talking about a serious subject. He's in the back doing, you know, handstands in his underwear and started throwing cushions at me. And there's nothing I could do to stop him because I, I wasn't going to turn around on the camera that time. Uh, <laughs> so there, you know, there's certain times where what he did uh, – I probably wished he wouldn't have, but uh, I'll always appreciate guys that, that have fun, and um, and it's amazing how we many all, people. We all grieve in different ways, though, Dan. Yeah, of course, of course, but you know, there would you wouldn't believe the amount of people that think that Kevin BX and I hate each other just because of some of the interactions we had. They always thought, "Why is that guy such a dick to you?" And I'm like, "Guy, ah, he's just kind of having fun." So, um, I would say, in terms of all the Canucks, yeah, over the years, um, he was one of the most fun just because of the way. Uh, he acted. Uh, Shane O'Brien was another one. Uh, Jason Strudwick. There are a few real characters that, you know, would not let you off the hook if you said something stupid or asked a dumb question. Um, so that I, I always enjoyed that kind of interaction. Who's uh, who's taking over that role now? Do you think uh, with the new team, or is it kind of uh, that spot's been unfilled? Well, certainly not to that level. There's no one that's taken over that role. Um, I think my favorite interview after BXL left was Yannick Hansen, and now, of course, he is gone. 
so there's that problem. Uh, a guy who has an unbelievably dry sense of humor that you never see because he's so brutal as an interview is Alex Adler. Uh, but we don't get to see that. I wish the twins would show their humor a little more because they can be very dry and cutting as well. Um, I'm trying <laughs> to think who would be the next in line. I'd have to think about that. But as of right now, certainly no one stands out to that degree. Cause I think Perhaps we haven't seen them yet. I mean, there's a lot of new guys, some new faces right now, isn't there? Exactly. And maybe guys that want to get more comfortable, want to get to know you. Uh, you know, you don't want to be horse enough. Uh, ben Hutton, I guess, could be a guy. Um that likes to have fun in front of the camera, but uh, uh, perhaps he might stop too. Cause this year, <laughs> remember the Carolina game? I think they were up three goals going to the third period and he was showing off his mullet and I got him to wink to the camera. And of course they gave up five unanswered or something like that in the third and last. So mm-hmm. I don't think he'll be doing that again. Well, Dan, it was amazing having you on. Uh, honestly, just kind of a little bit of a pinching moment for us because we've grown up watching you. So we absolutely appreciate you coming on. Um, I mean, obviously, you got the book out right now, and I, I do recommend everybody goes and checks out Journeyman. Uh, it's, it's a great read. My brother's already kind of halfway through it, and I'm chipping my way through it as well. So uh, once again, thanks a lot for coming on. And just remember that even if you hate Chris Pronger, as most people do, even if you hate Chris Pronger, as most people do, don't hate his brother for being his brother. <laughs> He's funny. I say the same about mine. Ah, thanks. You too, Spence. All right, thanks a lot, guys. Uh, Dan, hopefully we'll get you back on in the uh, October season then. All right, guys, thanks for having me. Hey, hope you enjoyed this episode of Black, Red, Yellow. As always, please leave an iTunes review. One out of nine podcasts die because of people not leaving reviews. Don't let us be one of them. We're going to end this episode off with a song called Melt by the band Civiliana, the same band that does the intro music for this podcast and also my band. You can find us playing at the Biltmore this coming June 2nd, Friday night. Enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm.